to be here this morning. Yeah? Let me ask you another question. Are you ready for God to do something in your life today? Or did we just come so we could meet, be led in some great music, hear about the Gideons, and then go out the door the same way we walked in? Is that what we want? No. We come to church so we can fellowship with our fellow believers. We come to church so we can get into God's Word, so we can offer our praise and our worship. And so we can be encouraged by God's Word. And so we can go differently than we came in. If we, I mean, I can go into Walmart and come out the same as I went in. Right? I don't have to dress up to go to Walmart. Have y'all seen some of those people? <laughs> I can roll right out of bed and go to Walmart. And walk in and come out just like I left. Well, today, I put on a suit and everything, and I don't want to just put on a suit to walk out the same as I walked in. I want God to take his word, and I want him to to apply it to my life, and I want to be different than when I came in. And God's word can do that. God's word can pierce to the very bone, to the very marrow, and change who we are today. And if you know, don't know Christ as your Savior, God can change you into somebody totally different and rebirth you. You could have a birthday today if you wanted to. Today, spiritually reborn. So as we start going through this scripture this morning, I, I, I want us to read it, and, and I do this as well. I want us to read through it and hear these points that come out of it with the uh, understanding of how is this going to change my life today? How is this going to change my behavior? How is this going to change who I am spiritually today? How am I going to take this and pl- apply it in my life? Otherwise, just go ahead and get a you know, front line at the Dylan's Buffet, Right? Let's pray and we're going to get started. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the words and the praise that we've heard so far today. And I pray, God, that you'll speak to us through your word, that you'll let your word fall on receptive hearts, receptive minds. And more than that, Father, that you'll find us obedient to what your spirit would have us do this morning. Don't let us just be hearing this word. Let us be doers of what we hear. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that your spirit will move in this place. And everybody said... Amen. Let me start off with a couple of hypothetical questions. Who has, well, the first one's not. Who, who has children? Okay, if you don't, who wants children? See, the first service, there's a lot of hands up, and there's not a single hand out here now. You know, it, it, let's just say when you had your children at home, or if you still have your children at home, and they're, let's say they're, oh, I don't know, about that old, you know, about four, three or four, and you go into their bedroom because you hear them. They've been to bed for a little while. And you go into their bedroom and they're kind of making that fussy noise and that whiny noise. And you go over there and you touch their forehead and it's burning up. And you take your thermometer and you t- check their temperature. And you find out your child has a 105 degree temperature. What are you going to do? Well, why, what would you do if we say, well, here's what you're going to do. We're going to, oh, oh, they're a little warm 105, that's not actually that bad. Let's just see if they're better in the morning. I'm going to bed. Ooh, it's been a long day. Kid will be fine. Or what about you get a phone call and one of your dear relatives, maybe, maybe a mom, maybe a dad, maybe a brother, maybe a sister, is in the hospital, has had a massive heart attack. 
what do we do? Do we stop what we're doing and we run to it? Absolutely. What would be ridiculous? Eh, they'll be fine. Medical technology is incredible. What if there was a wreck right out here in front as we're all coming in this morning? A, a serious car wreck. I know what would happen. Within just a few minutes, there would be a hundred people there from this church gathered around those vehicles trying to help. See, when physical needs occur, we will even go out of our way to help people we don't know. That Boston bombing, first off, that was a tragic thing, an evil thing. But if you watch the videos, you see two kinds of people when that blast happens. You see people that are running in fear from it. And you see people who are running to it. Why are they running to it? They're running to help. They're running to help people they may not even know. They may not have met. Because there's something about us. It's ridiculous to think I would allow my child to lay there with 105 degree temperature. No, I'm going to take my child to the hospital. I'm going to go in and I'm going to get to the front of the line somehow. Because I want my child's physical well-being to be okay. And we will take extraordinary measures. We will cancel vacations. We will do whatever we need to if we have a relative that's in the hospital with a life-threatening emergency. We care about the physical aspect of other people, people that we know, people that we don't. How much do we care today about the spiritual well-being of those same people? See, we'll go out of our way for the physical needs. If I hear, you know, I'm hungry, we'll feed you. We live in a world today that's dark. We are light. We live in a, wor a world today that's tasteless spiritually. We are salt. We live in a world today where our children and families are breaking apart all over the place because we've strayed so far from the way God wants us to do things. Today, there's a recent Barna study that shows the people of the church and people who are saved, who profess Christianity, the statistics are just about equal for people who don't know Christ in the areas of divorce, in the areas of uh, unwed pregnancies. All of these moral characteristics that a Christian should just grab hold to and go, yeah, we're the same as the world. The statistics are the same. Where it should be, we stand on God's word to the point that we're, the scales are just so unbalanced in these areas that they can look at us and see a difference, but they can't. We have responsibilities as people of God to be spiritual leaders, not just in our homes, not just with our families, but at our workplace, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. We have a responsibility, and that's a responsibility that we accepted when we Ask Christ to be our Lord and Savior. We have a responsibility to be, provide spiritual leadership for our families, spiritual leadership for our homes, spiritual leadership for those around us. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn it to Acts chapter 10. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, but we're going to move really quickly, so I want you to keep up. Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at this story about Cornelius and uh, Peter coming to see him. Quick background on this man. He is a... Roman centurion. 
He is a man of influence. He's probably retired because he's at home. Uh, he served his 20 years, and he's probably a retired army centurion, but he was in charge of at least 20, uh, at least 100 or more men. Uh, and he's a man very well thought of. He's a Gentile, which means we have something in common. If you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, and you're in this category with him. Um, he lived in Caesarea, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean, about 30 miles from Jaffa, about 65 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, and during this time that this was written, what that means is the, the spread of the gospel through the dispersion of persecuted Christians in Jerusalem was happening. But slowly, it's getting there. But we're going to read about this man's character and read about his integrity. And we're going to see the importance of spiritual leadership in his family. So if you've got your Bibles open, we just want to go ahead and pop that first slide up and let's, let's read the scripture. We're going to read through all this first section first. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius... And he stared at him in terror and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring me one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent him to Joppa. Today I want us to do a couple of things. I want us to see the need of spiritual leadership. I want us to accept the responsibility of spiritual leadership that we have as born-again Christians. And I want us to examine, if we're born-again Christians, accepting that, I want us to examine today how well are we fulfilling that role. How well are we fulfilling that role? As a spiritual leader saved by grace, how well am I fulfilling that role. See, there's some characteristics of a spiritual leader that I want us to look at today. And if you want to be a strong spiritual leader, these characteristics should be present in your life. Look at the first one. A person of strong conviction. A person of strong conviction. First thing we see there is that Cornelius is willing to stand against the culture. Everything in his world was Roman, pagan, a pagan religion. So for him to be a devout man, a man who loves God, a man who gives to the poor, uh, later we're going to see a man of who all the Jews speak well of. If he's this person, then he's living outside the norm of his culture. And he and his family probably kind of stand out as the weirdos. Because here's a man that, that was served in an army that crucified the Savior. Get that? He served in the army that crucified Christ, that turned him over. So he's going against everything by being a devout, God-fearing man. That study that I told you about, if all of our statistics are the same as the world, we are not going against popular culture. I am sick to death of television and media taking, taking relationships and taking our, our morals of today and twisting them to be whatever it is that makes you happy. You know what? Just because it makes you happy does not make it right. God's word is right. 
Our desires, our, oh, it just irritates me. Well, don't you think that that's the way, if that's gonna, what's going to make them happy, that's what God would want? No. God didn't say he wants you to be happy. God said he wants you to be holy. God's word doesn't change. And we've got to stand against the flow of our culture today. We have to stand out against the way the world wants to go. On issues the Bible is clear about, we need to be vocal. We need to take a stand. In our workplaces, in our home, we need to teach our children. It's amazing to me how many of our kids will go, uh, church kids will go, well, you know, I know homosexuality is wrong, but as long as they don't push it on me and as long as they leave me alone, no, it's wrong, stop. We're developing this tolerance that goes against God's word. And Cornelius was a man that was willing to stand against the culture, against the norm. We've got to go quickly. Let's look at the next thing. A man of strong conviction or woman of strong conviction is going to have a tangible desire to please God. He gave. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household and gave arms generous, alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. There, were, there was tangible evidence, tangible evidence of his desire to please and know God. Tangible evidence. Why? Let me ask you a question. Why do we have to convince people that know God that it's good to read their Bible? I have yet to understand that. Why do I have to convince you that it's good as a Christian for you to pray? Because 90% of us in here, if we, raised our, if we asked the question and raise our hand, my prayer life would be, could be better. Don't raise your hand. Or it's amazing how many people that we come in contact with, people professing to be Christians that during the week will never touch God's word. Listen, there needs to be a tangible desire to please God. He's written a book for us. We should read it. He is willing, the God of the universe, to communicate with us back and forth through prayer. We should talk to him. Now, we're not doing those things so we can be saved. We're doing those things because we are saved. You get that? We're not going to work our way. I'm not going to read enough. I'm not going to learn enough to get to heaven. The only thing that's going to get me to heaven is the blood of Jesus. That's all. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. The blood of Christ. Let's look at the next thing there. To be a strong spiritual leader with strong convictions, I must be sensitive, I have a sensitivity to God's voice. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared in terror. This angel of God came and spoke to him. Now, what was he doing at the ninth hour? We'll read it later. What's he, what do you think he's doing about the ninth hour? Somebody say pray. Yeah, that's right. He's praying. That's right. Excellent answer. Talk, we teach the kids there's about five answers that you could always say that will be right. You say, Jesus... Read your Bible, pray, Paul, or go to church. Say one of those, and it might be right. The chances are 20% it'll be right. But he was sensitive to God's voice. He had placed himself in a position where he could hear from God. He was studying God's word. He was uh, well thought of by the Jews. He was giving. He was praying. 
He had placed himself in a position where he could hear. See, I think our problem is a lot of the times we don't slow down enough that God could speak to us if he wanted to. Of course, if he wanted to, he could do anything. He's God. But I think we get so busy. And we get busy. It's not even that we're doing bad things. We're just busy. And we get our, our place to the, ourselves to the place where we can't even take a minute to talk to God, so much less take some time and hear back from him. See, we have to have a sensitivity and an expectation of God speaking to us. If you're a Christian, God has not just said, okay, now you're a Christian, leave you alone. He wants to have this relationship with you. He wants to be evident in your family. He wants to be evident in your marriage. He wants to be evident in your kids. And he wants to talk to you. And he wants to communicate with you. And he wants you to talk to him. He wants a relationship. And that involves communication. We have to have a sensitivity to God's voice. And look at the last thing under strong conviction. We must be obedient to God's direction. Obedient to God's direction. Immediately. Immediately, Cornelius goes, you didn't even tell me what to ask him. You just said, go get him. Okay, y'all gather up. I need y'all to go get him. Immediately. If we're going to be a people of strong conviction and a spiritual leader in our home, in our church, in our family that we need to be, then we need to be willing to be obedient to God's direction immediately. I, I love seeing this baptism this morning. I love, there's nothing I would rather do in my job than baptize people. I love that. I could do that all day. Never get sick of it. Because that's a, a, an act of obedience, somebody being obedient to God. And if you're sitting here today and you've accepted Christ as your Lord and your Savior and you've never been baptized, you're being disobedient. That's all there is to it. You don't get to decide. If you've decided and, and asked Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, and here's my heart, here's my life, here's everything about me, you don't get to decide about the baptism. If you are not being, have not been baptized, that doesn't get you to heaven. It's a symbolic uh, representation of obedience of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and a new, new you coming up. If you've not done that after you've been saved, you're being disobedient, and you need to come down here today and get that fixed that's all there is to it I, I, there's not a nice way for me to put some powdered sugar on that if you've not been baptized and you say you're saved you are living in disobedience to God I'll get an email about that I promise it's okay obedient to God's direction let me ask you this question has God directed you to do anything that you've not been obedient in? Has God asked you to do something that you've not been obedient to do right now? Right now. This minute. Is anything coming to mind? God, I know you, you have asked me to blank. I just don't want to do it. See, I wish I could say that I was the person that every time God makes himself known to me, I go, boom, I'm on it. I'm not. I remember uh, one very specific time where God, when God called me into ministry and I was working at Raytheon and I loved it, man. We got to do, make computers do stuff. We got to make lights come on and it, it was fun. We got to spend lots of money, other people's money, on uh, building things and doing that. It was fun. I liked it. And God just one, one night in a service said, um, I want you to go into ministry. What? 
Did you miss and mean to hit Andy? Because that's not what I want. And I remember we started praying about it and we started uh, talking about it. And, and I came to the point where I knew that's what God wanted me to do. Just like this angel of God came and said, send somebody to go get Peter. And he did it. God said, I want you in full-time ministry. And you know what I did? I immediately, no, I didn't. I said, nope. No, thank you. Not what I want to do. Don't care to do that. I'll do some part-time stuff for you, give you that, and hope you're happy with it. But I'm doing, here's what I was saying. I know what you want. I'm going to do it my way. And I just have to tell you, I was miserable. I was miserable. And some of you today are sitting here miserable because you failed to follow what God has told you to do. You failed to follow through on something God has asked of you. It may be talking to your next door neighbor about, about the gospel. It might be going into ministry. It might be being baptized. Whatever it is that God is asking you to do, do that. Do that. If you want to be a person of conviction, we need to follow God. And I, I don't like this stage. And here, let me tell you why. It's because I feel like I'm, I'm doing this. I, I can't talk down to anybody in here because I am just as jacked up as you are. I have just as many issues as you do. And I have just as many weaknesses as you do. We're in this together. And I hate a lot of the things I'm saying. I'll just tell you. Because it's very convicting to me. But what are we going to do about it? Are we going to just sit, listen, or are we going to respond? Are we going to change? Are we going to do what God asks us to do? Let's keep moving. There's the clock. I knew it was up there. Look at the next thing. We have to be teachable. We have to be teachable. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, we're starting in verse 9. Peter went up on the housetop in about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him and says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the, ver the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, don't call common. This happened three times, and the thing that was taken, then the thing was taken up once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What's the reason you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest, and the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. You notice, may just make a note of this, a little side note. Angels not told Cornelius what to expect to hear, 
and he didn't tell Peter what to say. Just kind of hold that thought for a second. So look at the thing. We want to be teachable. We want to be trainable. We want to continue learning. There's a lot of people sitting here. There's a lot of, a lot of college degrees. There's a lot of master's degrees. There's probably some doctorates sitting out here. There's some very intelligent people here. Would you agree? This way I'm talking about. There's some really intelligent people here. I have a college degree. I've got a master's from seminary. I've got all that. But here's what happens if I ever stop wanting to learn and being trainable and teachable. This is what I'm doing. I know everything. And we all know that's not true. Right? But you're doing the same thing. If you stop being teachable, whether or not it's because I've been in church forever or I've read the Bible through six, seven times, whatever the reason is, if you ever put up your guard and say, I've learned it all, you're in trouble. Because Peter is a leader in the church. He hung around with Jesus Christ for three years. And Peter is still being teachable and trainable, willing to learn, willing to take God's word and, and apply it, take God's direction and, and apply it. We must be constantly learning, constantly learning. How do we do that? We study God's word. We get in small groups. We, we pray. God can teach you some things through prayer like you would never believe. We come to church. Whatever it takes for us to continue learning. Uh, Y'all know we're having a service for Hazel tonight in here. And Hazel worked here, worked here for 65 years. She, she worked here longer than I've been alive. A lot longer than I've been alive. And I, would, I remember I'd go to her office and we'd just talk because she had candy. And I'd stop by. And what you doing? You all listening to this sermon. I, Hazel, how many sermons you reckon you've listened to? Oh, I don't know. You've got to have heard them all by now. She goes, oh, but God speaks to me every time I hear one. And this lady... What an example. Oh, my goodness. What a spiritual leader. Here's a lady who's worked here 65 years. And how old was she? I don't know. 92. 91. Some of the people, are, either y'all are just telling me peace or y'all are wrong. Somebody's wrong. She's 91 and a half. She's, she was older. I wanted older. And she still had this desire to learn and be teachable and trainable and wanted to do what God wanted her to do. Which brings us to the next thing. A teachable person must be willing to act on what he has learned. A teachable person must be willing to act on what he has learned. There is a lot of Bible knowledge here. In this room, what are you doing with what you've learned? Some of us in here have been through every faith-sharing event that's ever happened here. How well are you sharing your faith? Some in here have been in Bible study since they were, were before they were born. And not going now. Why? Is that because you know it all? 
Is that because I've, I've just full up? Don't have any more room? Doesn't work that way. See, we must be willing to act on what is learned. See, I got a new puppy, and um, it's, it's a little yellow lab, and her name is Sophie, and she's beautiful, and she's wonderful, and she behaves very well um, with us at home. And we took her to, for her first vet visit. And we're sitting in the room, and we're holding the puppy, and she's sitting there being all sweet. And the veterinarian technician walked in, and it's like this dog lost its mind. I was looking for a helmet to put on the dog because she just went crazy. It's like, here's this person I've never seen. I'm going to go do everything that I know I'm not supposed to do. I'm going to jump on her, and her whole, she was wagging her tail so hard, her whole half of her back was just wagging. She was losing her balance. She was wagging so hard, jumping up on the person. Just licking everything that could, uh, she was so happy. And in five minutes, this veterinary technician had that dog sitting beside her, all four sitting there like this sweet little thing going, just looking at her. I went, wow, your way. I mean, and here's how she was doing it. I'm going to ignore you till I get some right behavior. <laughs> See, at my house, we teach the dog to read. <laughs> Think about that one for a second. Usually, teach her to read with a rolled-up newspaper. Okay? And she responds well to that sometimes. But here's a lady that taught her to sit and be still in five minutes. And it was wonderful. The dog, just, she was in there for us with 30 minutes, and the dog wasn't doing anything. And she said, now the vet's going to come in, and I just need to warn you, your dog will lose its mind again. But we've just taught her the right thing to do. Oh, it doesn't matter. She's not going to do it. And sure enough, the vet walks in. Here goes the dog again. <laughs> just like, I, I know what you taught me to do. I'm not going to do it. I've just got to go lick on her. And she may have those little cookies in her pocket. And how different are we? That we, we're trained and we're trained and we're taught. And we know the right thing that we're supposed to do. And we just choose not to do it. I have to tell you, I, and I told the group next door, I, I get tired of trying to convince Christians they should read their Bible. It's amazing how many church people you say, uh, tell me what you've been reading. Well, I don't really read my Bible the way I should. Why not? Tell me about your prayer life. I don't really pray the way I should. Why not? Well, just like I take a rolled up newspaper and discipline my dog, you stay disobedient, and God will discipline those who he loves. And I don't know if you've ever had a rolled-up newspaper from God, but it's something to, to be feared. God loves us as his children, and he wants us to be obedient. And when we're not, he wants us to act on what we've been taught. He wants us to act on what we know. He wants us to do the things that we have been, been trained to do. According to his word. And when we don't, we're not being the spiritual leader. We don't. And guess, get this. If you have children in your home, they know you're not doing it too. And one of the biggest sources of conflict for a, a young adult, teenager, is to watch their parents profess something on Sunday that they don't live the rest of the week. And you want to 
you know, you're either going to continue to grow spiritual children or we're going to grow people who pretend to be spiritual and do it just like we've done it. A strong spiritual leader is going to be teachable. They're going to be constantly learning and they're going to act on what is learned. Let's move to the next one. A concern for others. We must have a concern for others. One of the, the, the biggest characteristics of a, a spiritual leader, we must be concerned for others. Let me read this, start in verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. They didn't, they didn't have a bus. They didn't have a train. They didn't have a car. It was about a day and a half, two-day walk from where they were. So they didn't know the time and, and the minute that they were going to be there. There weren't cell phones, so they couldn't, couldn't call and say, hey, we're five minutes out, Cornelius, get everybody together. He had already got them together. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Talking about Peter, found a lot of people there. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person uncommon or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon and Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear that you have been command what you have been commanded by the Lord." Go ahead and put those next things up. Our concern for others must extend to known others and unknown others. There's a television show called Lost. Anybody ever see that? About a plane crash and they're on an island. And, and everybody, they came up with this name. They determined that there were other people on the island. And everybody that wasn't them was labeled others. When they even re referred to them, they'd say, oh, that must be left over from the others. See, it's us, me, and the others. Cornelius grabbed everybody. He goes, listen, I don't even know what they're going to say, but God has told me to do this. So it must be important. It must be significant because God has, has told me to go send for this guy, Peter. And I, 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 want, I care about you so much and I'm concerned about you that I want you to come into my house. And I'm going to take care of you until he gets here because I want you to hear what he has to say too. If it's important enough for God to say it to me, it must be important enough for you to hear it as well and I don't want you to miss out see Cornelius had a, a, a concern about the spiritual well-being of these around him his friends his family do you have that kind of concern for people you know about their spiritual well-being see we care like we've already talked about our people's physical well-being but how much do you care about the spiritual well-being of those around you and here's Peter all Peter knew was, hey, I'm going to this guy's house. God told me to. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know Cornelius. He has no idea. All he's doing is being obedient to what God has told him. Because he has a concern. He wants to obey God. And he has a concern for this man. And he walks in and hears everybody. How concerned are you about the lost people that live in your neighborhood? 
How concerned are you about the lost relative? Anyone in here will say, relatives are some of the hardest people in the world to share the gospel with. Would you, or, or would we just rather just, oh, I don't want to do it, and when they die, just know they just, we just hope that they knew Jesus. Or are we going to put aside our uncomfortableness and go speak with them? Do we care? Are we concerned enough for the very souls of our lost family and friends that we will push by the area where we're comfortable, push out of that, step into a place where we're uncomfortable, and share the gospel with them? See, our alternative is this. You die with Christ, you go to heaven. You ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and give him your life, and you get to spend eternity in heaven with those who have gone before you. You die without Christ in your life, and you spend eternity in hell. Do you care enough about those around you to make sure that they don't spend eternity in hell? That they at least hear the gospel, that they at least know that somebody cares about them enough that they will share the gospel with them. Somebody's coming to your mind right now. You may be sitting here right now and not know Christ, and you go, that's the first time I've heard that. Let me tell you, lost person, without Jesus Christ, you die, you go to hell, and you're separated from everything good forever and ever and ever. There is nothing that's going to get us to heaven except the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all. If when I come before God on my own, he looks at me and he says, guilty. 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 You are so sinful, you can't even approach God. I am so sinful, he can't even look upon me through his eyes. He has to look through the blood of Jesus to see me. And through the blood of Christ, he looks at me and he says, not guilty. You die without Christ, you've never been pronounced not guilty. You've never been justified before God. And he can't be in your presence. And you will be separated from him. But through the power of his spirit, you can be saved today. Through the power of the blood of Christ, you can come down today, talk with one of us, ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and say, here's my life and become the spiritual leader of your family. You can become the spiritual leader of your neighborhood, of your home. You can become the person that God intends for you to be when you're, when you're saved and, and God's mercy and grace is poured out on you. We've been given a gift and as the spiritual leaders, are we being faithful with the gift we've been given we have a responsibility we need to be concerned for others people we know and people we don't and the last thing we want to look at strong spiritual leader importance of spiritual leadership in our home we should have a love for the gospel a love for the gospel so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how Jesus anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by evil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses of his resurrection, talking about his resurrection, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they began hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Who have received Jesus, the Holy Spirit, just as we have, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then he asked them for, to remain for some time. Last two subpoints: It must be a, a, a love for the gospel. We must have a willingness to share it. And we must trust in God for the results. See, Peter never was told what, you, what I want you to say. Cornelius told him, hey, I just sent for you because God said you had something to say to me. What does Peter do? He immediately starts giving the gospel. He immediately starts telling about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He immediately cuts to what he knows is the, 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 the saving story for these Gentiles. See, as Christians, we should have a love for this story. A love that's so deep that I can't help but tell you about it. I tell you about my wife, I tell you about my puppy who I love, I tell you about things in my life that I love. If I love, if some, something I love, I'm going to talk about and I need to have a love for the gospel of Christ to the point that it just spills out of me. There's people that will die and go to hell if we don't share this gospel with them. It is not my job to save anybody. If you're counting on me for your salvation, you are in big, big, big trouble. If you're counting on your mom and your dad for your salvation because they've been to church forever, you're in big trouble. If you're counting on Emmanuel Baptist Church for your salvation because I was raised here, I've never been out of church, you are in big trouble. We trust in God for the results. We trust in the Holy Spirit Working in your life, drawing you to him, and you accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I don't care what anybody else says. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. I don't have to feel like a failure if I share the gospel with somebody and they walk away and go, I don't care. Whatever. Freak. I don't have to, I don't have to feel like a loser feel like a winner because I was obedient to what God would have me do. I, would, I was obedient in sharing my love for, for Christ and sharing the gospel. God is responsible for the work. So let's get to these last two questions. And, and, and I, I just got to tell you, I hate this sermon. I hated it the whole time I was preparing it. And here's why. I knew eventually we're going to end up at these two questions. I knew eventually we'd get there. What kind of spiritual leader are you? 
Who's leading your family? See, what kind of spiritual leader are you? I know the face I can put on, but God knows the guy behind the jacket. And just like I said, I'm as messed up as you are. Who's leading your family? If you are not providing the spiritual leadership for your family, somebody will lead your family. Your family is going to be led. Your kids are going to be led. Your wife is going to be led. Your spouse will be led. Who's going to do the leading? Because if it's not a responsibility that I accept, somebody's going to. And that's how our families have got into the disrepair and have moved so far away from God's word the way we have seen in our society and in our church. See, it's time for us as men of God, as women of God, to take the reins of leadership back in our families. It's time for us to take the reins of leadership in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our, in our workplace. It's time for us to begin again to be the spiritual leaders that God wants us to be. Without hesitation, immediately. When God says, we do. When God directs, we follow. You do not have to pray about something God has told you to do. God said in his word, repent, be baptized. Well, I'm going to pray whether I should be baptized or not. You don't have to pray about it. You can choose to be disobedient and not be baptized. God's calling me, wants me to accept him as my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit's working. Well, I'm going to pray about that. No. No. You don't have to pray about that. God wants me to read his word. I'm going to pray about whether he wants me to do that or not. You don't have to pray about that. Pray about whether you're going to buy a yellow lab or not. That's something I should have devoted more prayer time to. What kind of spiritual leader are you? We're going to have an invitation as, as the musicians come. And Here's what I want to ask you to do. You said at the beginning you wanted to leave differently than you came. You're still willing to do that. See, there's some in here that right now, even before this invitation time starts, you need to come down and talk with a pastor and say, I need to be baptized. I've never, just, just like the example we saw today, I'm living in disobedience. I know I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I need to follow in baptism. It's not, it's, it's repent, become a Christian, and be baptized. And before the music even starts, you need to come down and grab Brother Gail and say, hey, I need to be obedient and be baptized. Somebody here today may just be saying, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. That's the first time I've heard that, and I need some more uh, talking to about that. Or I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Will you, will you come down today? Or you may be the dad who's not been leading your family spiritually. You may be the dad who's never had a Bible study in your home. You may be the dad or the mom who have totally neglected your children's spiritual well-being. You may be the dad or the mom today that has not set the right example in the past for your kids. You might be the dad or the mom today who has not been the spiritual leader of your family. And you may need to just come down today and ask God, just pray right here and say, God, forgive me. Help me to walk out different than I came. You may be the student today that says, I need to 
be the witness and the leader at my school that God would have me to be. You may just need to come and pray today. You may be looking for a church home, and God's told you today to come here and join this church. Don't put that off. Remember, when God says, we do. As a Christian, that's what I'm supposed to do. Everybody knows that, right? Right? God says, I do. It should be God says, I do. And we plead and we beg and we... We shouldn't have to beg Christians to follow God's direction. We're supposed to be spiritual leaders. We need to have a love of the gospel. We need to be teachable. We need to stand against the culture. And we need to have a concern for others that looks so different than the world. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I pray that even, even before I say amen, that you'll begin to make your way to the front to follow God's direction. If you need someone to pray with you and you have a friend, grab them. Don't be afraid to grab somebody and tell them, I've not been the spiritual leader I need to be. Will you come pray with me? What will people say? Who cares? Who cares? Give them something to talk about at lunch. But do what God would have you do. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Every Sunday morning, Emmanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 9.30 a.m., and offers a contemporary worship setting in a casual and relaxed atmosphere. Our second worship service begins at 10.50 a.m. in our worship center and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for children and adults of all ages are provided at 9.30 a.m. and 10.50 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com.